Welcome back to Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast. In today's episode, I invited Andrew Foster, Associate Vice President at the Mortgage Bankers Association. We talked about the CMBS market, loan origination trends, distressed debt, multifamily agency lending, and some thoughts on CMBS policy issues. If you're interested to learn more about these topics, feel free to check out MBA's website at mba.org. This podcast is for informational purpose only. This is not an investment advice. And now let's get started. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the podcast today. I know that you are our listener. This podcast, I'm so happy. I love to invite my listeners to be on the show as guest speakers. So thank you so much for coming today. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So before we get into today's topics about the commercial real estate market and CMBS and loan originations, why don't we start off with a quick background about yourself, what you do at MBA, and maybe you can talk about your association and let more people to know about it and they might be considered joining as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Minja. So my background, I started kind of my career in the CMBS and commercial real estate industry doing loan workouts. And so I was working as an analyst and then an asset manager, working on defaulted mortgage loans and foreclosed properties at a special servicer. And that was, I was in Dallas area and it was a really interesting way to learn different facets of the real estate business. And why I say that is you worked in different property types, you worked in different markets, you worked with leasing and investment sales professionals, you worked with attorneys property managers, appraisers, et cetera. So you really got some insight and level of connectivity to a lot of different market participants that work on commercial real estate transactions. So that that was a great foundation for me. And I, from there, went to New York and joined S&P's CMBS group and was rating CMBS surveillance transactions there at S&P before transitioning over and reviewing operations of loan servicers. And so that's kind of a non-rating aspect of credit rating agencies. And that was a fascinating kind of education on the bond world and just this whole other world outside of commercial real estate that connects to it when it comes to the finance side. So that was a really interesting experience. I also worked for a couple of years at Fitch doing that same thing, rating servicers. And I just have and continue to hold in really high esteem S&P, Fitch, and credit rating agencies generally as just being very important institutions to the capital markets and to capital formation. So that experience and those opportunities led me to working at the MBA, which is where I currently focus on commercial multifamily engagement. And the MBA is a trade association that represents both single family as well as commercial multifamily loan originators, servicers, independent mortgage bankers, and all types of different companies that interact with, with those market constituents. And I focus on member engagement, which involves sort of creating events, organizing meetings, conferences, planning content, and just work on a really great team that does that. My manager, Kelly Burke, who leads our efforts on engagement is just really focused on helping people in the industry grow. And so I think what I love about the role and the team is that 
we're helping members create strong relationships. We're creating strong relationships with them. And when you do that in a business that brings together so many different parts of the industry that are diverse, that have different business models, it's it's just a real opportunity to provide a lot of service to the industry. So that's what I'm doing now and a little bit of my, my background. And um, yeah. Yes. And I love MBA. I follow all of your research reports that you guys put on your website. And I invited Jim Costello to my podcast before, and he's also one of your members. So I I know about this association and I always follow your contents and the newsletters that you guys put out. Great. Thank you. And because I have a variety of different type of audience, majority of my audience are millennials. We are more in the young professionals stage of our career. And some people, they might be in real estate development. I have a few architects listening to my podcast. Um, they might not know what CMBS is. So could you explain a little bit about you know CMBS market and also the special servicers, the loan originations part that you talked about in your background, please? Sure. So when you hear the term CMBS discussed and it's it's written about, people are often talking about the conduit market. And so that's conduit transaction is a bond transaction that takes a lot of different loans on a lot of different collateral, and it's very diversified across property type and market. And that's one type of bond transaction where these loans are kind of pooled together in different securities with different risk and return profiles are sold off to investors. There's also um, within the CMBS space, single asset, single borrower transaction. Those are generally larger loans. Uh, There may be fewer loans than you would expect to find in a conduit pool, but that's a different type of, of security with some different structural elements to it. You also have CRE CLOs, which is another type of security those are loans that are pooled together, generally, again, smaller number of loans than a conduit transaction, but they're on transitional properties. They're on properties where a borrower may have a business plan to put some money into the property, to raise rents, to increase occupancy. So it's a different risk profile and there's different structural elements to it. With each of those transactions, there's obviously someone who's originating that loan and has a relationship with the borrower to make that loan. But then there's also going to be a servicer, just like there would be for any lender. But with CMBS and securitization, that party can and and may be a different entity than who originated the loan. Uh, And there's, without going into too much detail, there's different types of servicers. So there might be one party who's involved if your loan is performing and you're just talking about receiving your income statement for your bill being due or updating your insurance. And then when something goes wrong and there's a problem with your loan, there may be a different a special servicer that is kind of the party that would get involved at that point in the process and make decisions, not just for themselves, but for the benefit of this trust, which contains all these different loans, all this different collateral So those are some of the dynamics around CMBS. And I would just kind of tell you broadly for anybody who sort of sits at at maybe the equity side of this, that the CMBS market did kind of shut down and there was a freeze in the economy earlier in 2020, March, April. But interestingly, as compared to the last uh, recession, after the economy started picking back up to some degree after March, April, you had the Federal Reserve sort of launch their program to support the market. The CMBS industry and the 
you know, the issuance of bonds from, from these securities that I discussed did actually start back up. And so it's it's been somewhat active in 2020. And I just mentioned that because that's different than what happened in the last recession. And that market, that ability to go out and get this type of financing for a landlord or, or sponsor certainly dried up for much longer in the last recession. So it's you know, experiencing challenges, but there has been some positive trends in terms of the pricing at which bonds are, are trading at. It's it's very tight. That means that there's sort of a good market and demand for what bond transactions are being issued. But when you think about putting together a pool, if you're an originator and you're trying to come up with this group of loans, there is less demand for some of these retail and hospitality properties. So if you're trying to put together, call it 50 loans, 70 loans, and you can't include some of those properties that are experiencing demand challenges, it is a little bit harder to put together a large pool that's you know $800 million when you have to look at those other property types and may not be able to have the benefit of including as much of some of those challenge properties. So I think that is kind of what I would do to high level talk about what the CMBS market is, but also just sort of where it's at right now and stepping back. This is how it's performing in a pandemic. <laughs> so that's that's what we're watching with this asset class. And so I think the good news is hopefully we're getting to some light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to have a recovery here that sort of juices up the opportunities for CMBS to provide financing and for transactions to pick up across CRE. Mm -hmm. And what are you seeing in 2021? Any trends that you are seeing right now or you predict that you will see in the market? And maybe we can go deeper into specific asset types. I know a lot of people are very interested to talk about multifamily or single family rental projects. These are some of the hot topics right now. Yeah, so I'd, I'd pick up on multifamily. And I think, again, just sort of thinking about the last cycle and this one, Multifamily has just grown astronomically and the investor interest and demand in that asset class just continues uh, unabashed. And so I think single family rental obviously is also another area that's grown and continues to have investor interest there. On the multifamily side, I think what's interesting from a CMBS perspective is you've had very active participation from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac from the GSEs throughout this cycle particularly over the last year, you know, their role of providing liquidity and stability throughout market cycles has been firmly demonstrated. And so I think that's that's really important to the multifamily asset class and the whole commercial multifamily ecosystem. I'd also just say that FHFA, the regulator for Fannie and Freddie, just put out their multifamily lending caps towards the end of 2020. And they're at 70 billion for each agency in terms of their volume caps, that's a little bit lower than it was in 2020. And so there's been this question within the finance community around, uh, you know, how big should the footprint be of the GSEs? And is there potential to crowd out private capital? That would be, you know, other lenders that would want to lend on multifamily, even if the government backstop wasn't there. So you've got this interesting dynamic where we're watching the experiment to see, okay, if the GSEs are not going to lend as much as they did last year, if transaction volumes hold, 
will insurance companies, will CMBS, will bank portfolio lenders step in and be able to provide uh, the capital to those borrowers? So we're going to watch that play out. I think the question if you're a borrower in 2021 is, are you able to go get that financing from the agencies or do you go to the private capital and you know what they may offer you, even if they offer you something, may be a different economics for your borrower. So I think that will be the thing that everyone is watching in 2021. And notably, the FHFA will continue to sort of be watching this situation as it evolves. And the other important piece of what they did with their multifamily lending caps in November was they really increased the focus on mission-driven and affordable housing, which I think is very much plays into this discussion around who finances whom from what capital source and you know, speaks to some of the challenges around affordability that are happening across the country right now. And so I think as compared to 2020, there will be a greater focus on affordable product and there's sort of specific requirements around what that means. And they are more stringent. In addition to requiring more of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's business to be affordable, the definition of affordable was also tightened. So I do think that you can expect to see their focus be at the behest of FHFA, their regulator, more laser focused on that affordability segment. So I think that's a, a shift and a trend that we're watching and certainly is is evolving with the agency's approach. Yep, got it. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I think maybe we can focus more on the CMBS market because that is your focus. I've heard a lot of discussions about distressed debt, trouble loans. What are your thoughts on these distressed assets? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts that I'll share with you. And I think, you know, when you're thinking about distress and trying to sort of think about what's going on and people are interested in these opportunities, I think what's important about CMBS as it relates um, to that distress is that there's a whole lot of data that is provided regularly from CMBS that provides a window on that asset class, on those loans. But I think it provides transparency and a window to a lot more CRA investors than just CMBS bond investors. So I think that's really important when you think about the distressed landscape is this transparency that's created by having a monthly investor reporting package, having rating agencies be able to consume, digest, and analyze some of this data. So I think that's a really important point. A lot of great data out there. I feel like just talking about the latest stats and delinquency numbers is probably like, you know, a TREP podcast is, is the right place to get that, which I think is great. What I would say is just a couple points about you know distress and the landscape and, and what I'm seeing is that you know the first thing is that downturns like this one or any other are really challenging for commercial real estate generally. Whether you're talking about CMBS or any other type of lender, if they've been making loans on shopping centers and retail and hotels over the past few years, there isn't anybody that, that had a great 2020 in terms of all of those positions. That being said, CMBS lenders and servicers have been trying to manage a very large influx of delinquencies, of borrower requests, of forbearance requests, and doing that at the same time that they're required to follow the requirements of their pooling and servicing agreements, which is a document that governs the CMBS transactions. So I think that's a distinction for that type of capital source that it's important, and that's that's been a challenge in a year full of challenges for the entire market. 
The second thing I'd say is that this isn't the last downturn. And so I think one of the things that came out of the last downturn was this narrative um, about CMBS servicing being problematic and there being a negative borrower experience. And I think something that's important to understand about CMBS is that there is this bond construct with it. And what a special servicer can do in a defaulted situation is not going to be the same as what a balance sheet lender can do. And that's about being a little bit more complex and it's about the options. It's not about bad servicing. And so I think it's important for people to realize that there are different servicers that you may have to deal with that's complicated. There's transfer events that are sort of a complicated factor and there's fees associated with servicing CMBS transactions. It's not relationship lending, but it's been in the market for 25 years and it's not pretending to be that. So I think that's really important to remember. And the last thing I would sort of say for high level context around this distress is that you have this situation where CMBS is a much smaller part of the CRE finance ecosystem this cycle than it was the last. So if it was half before the last downturn, it's probably more like 15 to 20% for non-agency CMBS. That's important for two reasons. One, if you are a owner or a lender trying to take advantage and find these distressed opportunities, I don't think you're going to find as many of them within the CMBS space as was happening in the last cycle. And two, when we first brought this topic up, I talked about the transparency and how much you can see about the market. Well, there's going to be a little less transparency around what's happening in some of the market because there's less CMBS loans out there. So if you're a borrower or an owner trying to find opportunities and you have to go look within the space of different funds or REITs or banks, you're not going to do it with the benefit of this monthly investor reporting package that's telling you what's going on with all the collateral. So I think it's important for both of those points. And there certainly is distress that's that's being observed in the market. But I think it's important to distinguish there being distress from there being distressed transactions uh, in the market, which I think are are two different things. You have the sort of start of distress and experience of problems, and then you have working out those problems and creating solutions. And it's there's a chronology there. So I think we we're seeing the stress that's been caused and will work its way through the system but it's not as quick as those assets came and had some problems with the pandemic and the shutdown. They're not going to be worked through overnight. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the company that I work at in Las Vegas, Millennium Commercial Property. So my boss, he have been through a few market cycles. The economy of Las Vegas fluctuates a lot with the U.S. economy. So this is the first market downturn that I'm going through in my professional career journey. And then since the pandemic happened, I have been receiving phone calls from a lot of my friends in New York because they just simply know that Las Vegas is probably going to have a pretty difficult time during a global pandemic that the entire Las Vegas Strip got shut down and our unemployment rate back in April of 2020 was over 30%, the worst unemployment rate in Las Vegas history. And right now, I haven't seen any distressed property in Las Vegas yet, but we will see some of them coming up in 2021. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that will be a story that that plays out uh, across the country. And one of the things I would just say about my my experience and background is that, you know, the great financial crisis was the first downturn that I was involved with in my career. And it is it's really fascinating uh, the things you learn, the connections and the relationships that you make in this part of the market cycle. And you sort of alluded to, uh, you know, your boss and people that you work with and how they built their business 2010, you know, over that next five to, to eight year period in the cycle. But certainly we're in a downturn right now and there's sort of a lot of uncertainty, but we're in a cyclical business and there are recoveries. And so I think it is a really fascinating part of the business mm-hmm. and something that anybody in it sort of knows the different downturns that they've experienced. And I think they're very formative times for people's careers and, and really interesting yeah. because of that. Yes. And go back to the point where you talked about there would be less transparency in this market cycle because there are less CMBS loans in this downturn than the previous downturn. We need to speak to your local banks, your community banks, and the title people in your local market. And that is how you find those um, smaller distressed properties that is not in the CMBS, the public market, that you can find data about it. Yeah. And I, you know, it's when I say that it's less transparent, it sort of sounds alarm bells. But I I think what's important to remember is CMBS has this transparency and it's not Mm -hmm. random. You had a lot of people in the industry and they worked with trade associations to create this investor reporting package so investors could see what's going on. You had someone from Kroll sort of talking about the Las Vegas landscape uh, and CMBS. And that's a window to Las Vegas, but it's from the data points within CMBS. And so if you've got those local regional banks, you've got money center banks lending on their balance sheet or funds or, or other market participants they're not going to have that same level of transparency that was created for CMBS investors. Yeah. So it is it is going to be call your local bank. It's going to be mm-hmm. sort of the blocking and tackling and relationship building and investigations to yeah. figure out who's got what and what services yeah. are needed versus in the last cycle where that dynamic existed. But for half of the market, you could subscribe to TREP and dig yeah. into what happened this month on this asset and we would have you know people knocking on our doors from companies like millennium in hard hit markets in the last recession whether it was phoenix or you know mm-hmm. pick another yeah. market lots of them on the west coast and throughout the country yeah. who would be regularly tracking those comments each yeah. month and following up and saying this is where i'm going to go find an acquisition opportunity this is where i'm yeah. going to go find an opportunity to provide you know management mm-hmm. services or leasing and it's just going to be a different way of people networking to building their businesses in, in this cycle, given mm-hmm. um, who's made these loans. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I can tell that you are a loyal audience of our podcast. You, you heard of the, lo- the last episode that I did with Laura from KBRA. Yes. Thank you so yeah. much, Andrew. It's fun to be here with you and actually talk to you, but I absolutely love Love being at home and listening to the podcast as well. <laughs> um, so why don't we talk about what is Mortgage Banker Association's focus on with the CMBS policy issues right now? Yeah, sure. So I, you know, as I said, I focus on engagement, but from a policy perspective, there's a couple overarching sort of themes or issues 
across capital sources that impact CMBS and, and our broader membership. And those would be at a high level kind of eviction moratoria across the country, stimulus and the need for rental assistance. And I think you, you know, with that backdrop, you have a lot of developments and things happening in different states and, and activities there that we're keeping up with and engaged with as well. And I think clearly there's a lot of issues with a new administration and a new Congress coming to Washington, D.C. right as we speak. So there's some different policy issues that sort of ebb and flow from, from that change and administration, as well as who may be some appointments to lead different agencies, as well as committees on the Hill. I would kind of leave it at that on the broad policy issues, because again, this is not my focus or expertise at the MBA, but I would tell you that within the CRE finance industry, within the CRE industry, I think everyone as participants does have a stake in the issues around policy and how our industry is regulated, both from regulators and legislators. So I think we all have a little bit of ownership stake in making sure that that's done in an appropriate and effective manner. And um, so I take that to heart. And I think MBA is doing a lot on all those different issues to advocate monitoring things for our members and bringing them up to speed and keeping them aware, but also advocating with policy makers, sharing our research, sharing our members' expertise and point of view as a lot of those decisions get made. And what about government reliefs? Is there any chance of direct government relief for CMBS borrowers? Yeah, so there's there's clearly sort of a lot of relief going on in programs for stimulus bills or the, the PPP program, et cetera. But the big CMBS policy issue that I think you pointed out there is this potential for direct relief to borrowers for commercial real estate and, and CMBS, where there's been a lot of challenges. So in the last Congress, you had the HOPE Act that was introduced in the House and a Moran bill that was introduced in the Senate. And each of these bills had language that discussed a preferred equity solution that would have the government providing some sort of a backstop to troubled borrowers. Uh, and again, a lot of these are in hotel and, and retail CMBS loans. So those were both discussed on the Hill and NDC in this last Congress. And so I think as long as you continue to see economic strains and, and sort of negative economic conditions, there exists the potential to have further conversations around that type of relief with a, with a new Congress. I would tell you that it's far from clear that that's something that looks like is likely to come to fruition. Um, but those discussions may continue and MBA um, does and continues to be a resource, not only for our members, but for policymakers as they look at those types of potential solutions. So not holding out much hope that that, that will happen, but things evolve in, in DC. And so it's a privilege and responsibility to sort of provide expertise and insights as policymakers think about those challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we finish the recording, what are some of the activities you have for young professionals and what is a career advice you have for young professionals? Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, a lot of our activities are, are very valuable for young professionals, but I would point you specifically to Impact, which is our Young Professionals Network. And this is a group of folks that are 
you know, lightly 35 and under. Um, it's a group of young professionals that's able to get together with each other to share career advice, to network, to build their own networks and sort of pass through the industry together. So we love getting that group together. It's all virtual now, but we would um, host receptions and get togethers at our conferences when we have in-person events. And that group invites people in the industry to share career advice. They're often, you know, might invite someone from our board of governors to come and talk about their career. So I think that's a great opportunity for young professionals and commercial real estate finance to sort of get get uh, access to business intelligence, but also get to know their peers, find out what other people are doing in the industry. And I think, you know, as far as my advice, I'm still a young person and young professional in my own view, but my advice from being in this industry and having any some level of success is that I do think building a network and having relationships and carrying those in a way that you build trust with people and do things for other people is really part of what makes this a great industry to work in. So I love that impact opportunity for that reason. And I inevitably, you know, I'm not the person who manages our impact group. Jackie Salazar is my colleague who's responsible for that on the commercial multifamily side. But one of the fun things about watching all our members is that many of the ones who are in leadership roles and who are, you know, carry leadership roles in their organizations or with MBA and or with MBA have relationships that are going back to 25 years. Our you know chair of our board has been going to our San Diego conference for 25 years. And so it's really fun to sort of see kind of the benefit and the manifestation of that, but then also see us helping some of those initial relationships get formed early on in people's mm-hmm. careers. So it's really kind of an important and meaningful uh, part of what we do. Yes. And this reminds me one of the advice I've received from my mentor. He said, there are so many benefits of being involved in an association, but if you want to take that extra step, then you should definitely volunteer to be on the committee or maybe special events or special groups like the MPAT, the Young Professional Group. That's a great way to get more involved with the association. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And just, I think whether it's in your organization or trade, you know, raising your hand and getting involved and just reaching out to people and let them know uh, you want to do a committee or you want to do a project is, is is great advice and kind of leads to more opportunities. So that, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. And how do you do your networking virtually or during this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very different process and and takes some adjustments and getting used to, but obviously no longer going to happy hours, which was sort of a popular um, way to get together with people in in a prior life, no longer going to conferences. It makes it be different, but I think Zoom calls and phone calls and just being in touch with people, digital communication obviously being, being more important than it ever has been too. You just have to sort of evolve with it and I think, you know, when networking is approached as being in touch with people, trying to provide value to people and create symbiotic relationships, you actually don't have to shake people's hands to do that. So it's very different. And I, I certainly miss, you know, being in the hallways for our conferences and that kind of thing. But I think, and to let them know you genuinely care with actions and, and words 
has just, there's never been a greater opportunity than right now as everybody engages with a pandemic that we, you know, we've never seen anything like that in our life. So I think it's actually been easier to do meaningfully in some respects, but it's just a different process and it requires uh, mm-hmm. kind of a different mindset and approach. Mm-hmm. And I think I will recommend young professionals to get more active on LinkedIn. That is how I follow Andrew and his content and I see all of your LinkedIn posts. I follow you. So before we got on this Zoom call, I feel like I already know you somehow just by following your content. Yeah, well, I think it's a good point. And I, I'll tell you that I, I was using social media and perhaps you know, your audience or you and I's demographic may use social media differently than, than some others. But I would tell you that I have been using LinkedIn and online much more since the pandemic started. And I think it's obvious why that's the case and why that's an important strategy. So I've appreciated reading what you have to say about the subject. And I'll also just tell you that sort of the creativity and and energy in your content is just really, I really appreciate that having that in our industry. And again, it's just connections through LinkedIn, which I think is, um, you know, that's not the same as running into somebody at a cocktail party or working together on a property assignment, Um, but it's no less real. And there's, you're right that if there's any benefit to having name recognition and doing things to build a brand, not leveraging the internet to do that in 2020, given everything we know about the power of this internet, which is not a really old thing, just seems like a strategy with some pretty big holes in it, regardless of what company or what industry you're in. So, Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. And I'm going to put the website of Mortgage Bankers Association's website in the show notes. So if any of my audience would love to check out the website, make sure to check out the show notes and check out all of their resources and contents they have on there. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, no, I just thank you again, Minja, for this opportunity. This is really fun to, to visit with you. And I'm really passionate, love the CMBS industry and the, the mortgage banking industry. So thank you so much for, for having me. Let me uh, share some thoughts with you and tell you a little bit more about MBA. Thank you so much, Andrew.